Hi all, hope you're well. Thanks for joining us here for episode four. My name's James Moorhen and obviously I'm here with my good friend Rob Seaborn. We hope you've enjoyed the first three episodes and remember please leave us feedback and rate the podcast via Apple, Spotify or online. And in this month's episode we're joined by Ephraim Brynan. Yes, Ephraim joined us, gave up his time to speak to us about the difficulties he faced during his um, adult life. In particular, uh, he talks really openly about the loss of his son during his son's deployment in Afghanistan. Now, some of you may actually know of Ephraim's story, or you may have seen him talk about his story and his battles of nav- navigating this difficult moment um, during his, his life. And this is because Ephraim has actually starred in Channel 4's hit show, SAS Who Dares Wins. Um, in the second of their series, filmed in the um, jungle outback in Ecuador. Ephraim's story really kind of came to light during this series and as a consequence, and after he he got in touch with another contestant on the show, they they spun out a charity called Strongmen. Now Strongmen does some brilliant work with mental health and in particular um, men's mental health. So we we strongly encourage anybody to, to check out their website. So yeah, we had the privilege of speaking with Ephraim about his time on the show, his battles with the loss of his son, and the brilliant work he is now doing with his mental health charity, Strongmen. Before we start the episode, we'd just like to say a quick thanks to our sponsors, Fuel Hub. And it's just a reminder that Fuel Hub are a healthy chef prepared meal service delivering anywhere in the UK directly to your door. Anyone that's followed me and and elements of my career, I've used this company for a number of years now and the quality of their meals is outstanding and it is genuinely like eating a restaurant quality meal at the fraction of the price. So please go and check them out. Yeah, so for now, um, please kick back, listen to episode four with me, James Moorhen and Ephraim Brynan. And um, if you want to check out any more of our episodes, we are on Apple Spotify and online. All you need to do is check out the Mindside podcast. Welcome, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Mind Pie, uh, Mindside podcast with me, Robert Seaborn, and James Moorhen. And we're delighted today to be joined by um, Ephraim Brynan, who is going to speak to us about his journey, really, um, and some of the the critical moments he's come up. Um, through his life, really. Um, but Ephraim, thank you very much for joining us and taking the time to speak with us today. My pleasure, chaps. Um, so Ephraim, first question, straight off the bat, really, an easy one to open up with. Just for people who aren't aware of yourself, um, do you mind giving like a, just a, a background as to who, what and where where you are, really? Yeah, it's it's not a question I can answer quickly, so <laughs> bear with me while I start and go around the houses a little bit. Uh, as you say, my name's Ephraim. I'm uh, fast fast approaching my 49th birthday. Um, where do you start with these things? I mean, I, I, I'll go all the way back to 1990. In 1990, I was at college, at sixth form college. Didn't really like a lot of people when they're that sort of age, 17, 18. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life other than I didn't want to go to work. Um, so I was just really hanging around for a couple of extra years to get some A-levels, <coughs> which ended up badly as it turned out, but that wasn't, it wasn't to know that at the time. Uh, and I met uh, Sharon. Sharon is my wife, mm. still my wife. Um, and she fell pregnant pretty quickly. So I would just turned 18. Uh, she was a year younger than me, so she was 17, and James came along. So 
all the plans that I did have, and I was planning to sort of, like a lot of guys, take a year out, travel the States with a mate of mine. I played guitar, so we were just going to sort of do the Greyhound bus thing with zero responsibility, zero plans, and just see how long we could um, stay out there. Obviously, that went straight out the window, and I had to give myself a career, a job. I had hair down to my waist, so that all had to go. So I had to cut all that off in order to get a proper job. Um, so I went, got a job as an estimator of doing office partitioning, which I didn't even know existed, but at least it was it was a start. I earned seven thousand pounds a year. That was my starting wage back in 1990, and it cost me about three thousand pounds to get to work because it was quite a long way from yeah. where we lived, caravan on the on the beach. So it was a bit of a baptism of fire. Obviously, when you have a child, <clears throat> however much you get warned about what an impact it has on your life positively and negatively um when it actually turns up and james was born on the 22nd of december so he came out on christmas eve it was very poorly with jaundice and we were back in on boxing day and he went into the intensive care unit just to so he could be uh, mended if you like by the by the doctors and the nurses so james has been or, or children have been in my life since i was basically 18 it's near as i say in excess of 30 years now Fast forward a little bit, uh, my daughter came along two years later, Yasmin. So we were a family of four, two kids, progressed nicely through work, actually stumbled on something that I was relatively good at and progressed all the way through. Uh, eventually earned a really good salary um, when I stopped doing that career a few years ago. So that was great. In the meantime, the kids grew up really well. Both of them did really well in terms of James was particularly sporting, so he represented uh, the county at football. He uh, had trials for England schools and colleges. He was sportsman. He's one of those that chuck him a ball or chuck him a stick, and he's naturally got that natural acumen that sports mm. people have, where the timing just seems to fall into place. Yasmin had to work a little bit harder at everything, but she was equally as adept. Uh, and they were both we were both children were becoming really great adults. Now, just after my daughter turned twenty-one. No, sorry, we'll come back a little bit. So James joined the army in 2010 or 11, I think it was 11. He wanted to be in the fire service. It was during the, the, the period where there was not much recruiting going on in public sector, uh, uh, just put a stop on new careers and pay rises and stuff. So it always had, or we'd always had an interest in the military side of things through grandparents, uncles, that sort of thing. And it's always been something that's interested us. So James went for the, for the military. He originally wanted to go into the parachute regiment. He was persuaded to go to military intelligence because he's a clever guy. He's quite analytical as well, so it kind of suited his uh, his skill set, if you like. So he joined the army, progressed well through the army. So he went up from from lance corporal pretty quickly. Um, and on his second tour of Afghanistan in 2013, unfortunately, he was killed. Now he was part of the. It was attached to the Brigade Reconnaissance Force, the Brigade Reconnaissance Force are the guys that go, guys and girls that go in sort of behind enemy lines to disrupt them. And they go in with a specific task, whatever that might be. Uh, and then they, they do the job and they come out. James was a, was a specialist in that, within that. He was a light electronic warfare technician. So the guy with all the radios listening into enemy intercepts, trying to locate them. And then they would decide what course of action based on the intelligence they find, the um, the conversations that they hear, they'll then decide on what they want to do. So it's a very specialist role within the military. And they'd go out, one of his loot team would go out on every operation. So James, unfortunately, 
was killed. Um, obviously, that had a, a massive effect on us. Now, whilst we were aware there was an element of danger, he'd been out before a year or so, 18 months previous, and we'd kind of got more used to it. I mean, you could never be used to it, but we were more used to it, a little bit more relaxed. And it was towards the end of active uh, operations in Afghanistan. So it, it had been a while since any service personnel had died. So I think there was around 10,000 British troops out there at the time. And I remember saying to my dad, well, the odds are 10,000 to one. Mm. And that's definitely in our favour. And I kind of happily take those odds, especially mm. based on the fact that it had been reasonably quiet. But um, it wasn't to be. Um, and from that point on, really, our lives just completely and utterly changed my life, my wife's life, my daughter's life, so the real close family bond, and then it obviously the friends and family on the slightly wider connection. It all changed for us based around that. And very much when I look back on it, that's when the old life ended somewhere around about that time, and I was 41, and then a new life kind of started. There was a period of, of, of really nothing, and then a new life started a few years after that, when we got kind of clear of those first few years and everything that comes into it now with a with a military death there's a lot more involved than maybe a civilian death you've got things like obviously james was in afghanistan so there's a repatriation there's an interest from the press uh, obviously there's the military side of things so you're dealing with <clears throat> um, a very structured environment a very structured um, group of people so that's not so you know whereas you you'd usually expect to be given information freely or things to happen freely that's not mm -hmm. the case with the military so that adds to the pressure sort of situation so after that we did all we could really just to just to get through sometimes hours at a time then days then weeks then months before you knew it we've been through 2013 and hit the new year um i went back to work way too quickly so that was something it was the old classic that everyone always says it's something to take your mind off it keep yourself busy and all that sort of thing which with retrospect was a terrible idea but i wasn't to know that at the time i worked for a relatively small company and i had quite a senior position so i was acutely aware that there was pressure on me yeah yeah, yeah. um to be there and, and to deliver the goods so that kind of happened uh my wife my daughter they changed career my wife's a nurse so she changed where she was working she's still a nurse but she changed where she was mm -hmm. working because there's an awful lot of really difficult memories that are associated even with particular things like maybe a room where you yeah. were when you got the news or a song that was on the right all these little things that piece together yeah. create quite difficult memories so in the time that, that, that moved from there um we got to where we are now so it's a very long answer to your question it's probably best if i pause it there so i can <laughs> allow you to come back and rather than go on and give you the next yeah. few years unless you want me to just sort of carry on no i mean that's one hell of a powerful story and um a very big introduction to to kind of you and your family and what the the kind of journey you've been on with obviously the bereavement that you suffered um and it's one that we're obviously grateful for you to to be courageous enough i think to speak about um if yeah it if we go back then to the actual uh moment itself um and journey back to what kind of the news as you heard it what in the acute term really what effect did that have on you um 
personally and what kind of effect did it have on everything around you so like the pressure maybe from family or as you said just then like your job you're aware of having to get back and the added pressure of that what kind of was your acute reaction to the this obviously huge moment in in your your life and your family's life I mean, it was, it's still difficult now. It still has yeah. an impact now yeah. when, you know, not so long ago, I bumped into a guy taking the dog to the kennels when we were going, well, it was a year, at least a year ago when we could travel, taking mm. the dogs to the kennels because yeah. we were going away on holiday. And I bumped into a guy whose son and James, his son had played with James football. And he sort of said, how's James doing? It's like, I'm really sorry, but James, mm. James passed away a few years ago. And, you know, you see the color drain out of people's yeah. faces. And, so but i'm one of those when people say how many kids have you got i've got two children it just happens that one of them's not around anymore and yeah. it's it's something that will always always talk about so for me it, it does it's not courageous of me to talk about it it would be wrong of me not to talk about it because james was such a wonderful human being he had such a positive impact on everybody around him not just his family and his friends but probably even more so his colleagues he had a huge positive impact on them it had a massive impact on on them as well how it happened and it continues to have a huge and massive impact on them and him and the way he was and the way he lived his life and the way he died has had an impact on all member of his colleagues from reasonably junior ranks like himself all the way up to quite senior ranks <clears throat> it sort of just encourages people to We've always tried to make the kids sort of do do the right thing to know the difference between you know the old classics and whereas that's easy to say it's actually very difficult to do it's, it's something that I almost have to remind myself it's the age old thing isn't it does someone just pick up litter because someone's watching them or does someone pick up litter because mm. there's litter to be picked up it's that mm. that kind of thing and what we're trying to do is get the kids more in that second um that second group than the first group to do something because it's the right thing to do rather than because it's the expected thing to do i suppose so going back to that i mean i have i've notoriously got a terrible memory but i could remember everything from the day before uh, and the surrounding days so i know on the 14th of october the day before james died we'd actually had some uh, email correspondence from him so he was a he was a fan of brighton and hove albion football club before he deployed we'd managed to get the Brighton flag signed by the first thing and it went with him on every operation mm. so he sent me a message on the 14th of October with the flag kind of draped over this compound where they are from where they would launch the operation the following day and we had a very brief uh, email chat I suppose for want of a better word so on the, his girlfriend Ollie came over in the evening we could we had shepherd's pie for dinner we watched a program about Madeline McCann uh, and her continued disappearance uh, and went, bed, went to bed about 11 o'clock, woke up. We were having a, some work done in James's room because he had an ensuite bathroom. And because it had not been there for a couple of months, we'd not noticed there was a leak. So there was a guy in changing the tiles. I literally, when the guy went, took the tiles to the tip, thought I'd go for a quick run at the gym on the way back. So I stopped at the gym and it was then that we'd had the knock on the door. So my daughter was in and she rang me or rang the gym to say, there's someone here from the army to see you they, they won't talk to me they need you to come home and that was one of those where you know you instantly you think no 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 this isn't the way this is going to come down and then rational brain kicks in and goes but i know they do this if someone's been involved in an incident or they've been injured or someone else near has been so it must be just that so i drove back it was like the longest journey of all time i was listening to biffy Clyro cd and it took about i don't know 10 12 minutes to drive home 
walked in the door and straight away this guy literally just said, I'm sorry to say that uh, James was shot and killed this morning. Um, we don't really have any further information. And then it's kind of like, what? And there's the disbelief that comes into it. But then again, you have all the practical things. My wife was at work. I had to tell her. Mm. And that was, there was no good way of doing that because what I wanted to do was tell her face to face, but I couldn't because I couldn't say to her, can you come home? I need to talk to you about something because she would have said, what's happened? So had to tell her on the phone and obviously that was hugely distressing and then we had to tell James's girlfriend and then you have to tell the wider community because you have around 24 hours to tell people before it gets announced to the general public. So I was then contacting my parents, my wife's parents, James's friends and all the, that wide, that pool that just gets bigger and bigger and you know how unfortunately we had to text some people and how, how do you tell people because then you're just bombarded with calls and visitors yeah. which is the last thing you need because we had no information we literally were told virtually nothing we didn't know if there was anyone else involved we didn't know the circumstances we didn't know anything and so it was trying to try to kind of you almost then step away from it and say right i've got to tell everyone and make sure everyone's all right and then people are crying around you and you kind of think why are you crying he's my son for fuck's sake you know pull yourself together how do you think i feel but you don't you dust yourself down and you just get yeah. on with it and you go through the formalities and then you have to see the vicar and the services and the repatriations and the funeral directors and you know before you know it, you're sat trying to pick pick hymns for your son's funeral thinking it just makes no sense it's just not <clears throat> something i'd ever you know, I'd always worried about leaving the kids if I were to die, but I'd never really considered the other way around and what we would do. It's just not a conversation we'd had. Where, sorry to interrupt because it, um, I was just wondering, when, when do you think, at what point did it really hit you or did it? Did you have time or space for the, the news really to sink in? I don't know. I couldn't tell you when it... It was, it was a progressive thing. I remember... Mm. The worst, one of the worst moments. So we went for the repatriation, which was into Bryce Norton, uh, and James was repatriated through Carterton. I remember the day before we went up to this ancient, beautiful hotel that, in any other circumstances, would have been a phenomenal experience. It's like a big, stately home, and I had it's myself, Sharon, my wife, my daughter, James's girlfriend, and my grandmother. My grandmother and I have always been really close, and she lost her brother her youngest brother during the second world war so she's always had that empathy with stuff and she'd lived through the war so she came with us as well and we were you know we we're trying to sit around in the evening and trying to eat and stuff like that and you don't really want to eat just go to bed and you obviously can't sleep because you don't really know what's going to happen tomorrow the visiting officer or the family liaison officer looked after us he'd never experienced it before so he didn't really know what was going to happen and i remember as we the day progressed and, and james and they give you this Zulu time when he's going to, you know, when the big, huge, great plane's going to land. And I remember it dipped underneath. It was a really grim day, really cloudy, because it was in October. And it was a really grim day, and it's raining and horrible, typical English sort of October day. And this huge plane just ducked under the clouds, and it, like, took my breath away a little bit. I sort of struggled to breathe, because, you know, when you think, he's home now. And my grandmother, who's been through everything in life she's one of the she's had a real she just burst into tears and you know you think jesus if 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 she's feeling like this then you know this is a real heavy moment it was a really really heavy moment and then it circled back round and eventually it landed 
Um, but that was a that was one of those days where it, it hit home massively. But then it went back into fictitious, you know, into fiction mode because you have all these crowds around you putting um, flowers on the hearse, and then again you're almost like you're watching it on TV a little bit, and you you're trying to put the front on, trying to sort of you know make out that everything's all right, and because you know you have no choice, you have yeah, you can't yeah. just sit there and let the world fall to pieces because well, you just can't. You have literally no choice. So it's a case of just doing the best you can to put one foot in front of the other and make it through 10 minutes, make it through half an hour. And I remember saying to Sharon, words to the effect of, we've just got to get through a few more minutes. We've just got to get through an hour. We've just got to get through a day. And then slowly but surely you do. You manage to make it through and you start making progress. And, you know, that becomes slightly easier, I guess, as time goes by because you've just... You're more experienced in dealing with it, I guess. Yeah, it, um, it's unbelievable to hear, hear you say all of that, and so much, so many things resonate with like when we lost Dad, and particular what you said about you know people knocking on your door, like flowers coming around, cards coming around. It, it, my mum basically said to us, if another card comes through that effing door. She said, "Whoever it is, I'm going to open a door and tell them to f off." Yeah, and and, and we had we we literally had to divert. Like when we saw someone coming up the drive, we had to like run out and basically not let the door knock because mum would should hear what was going on upstairs. So it, it's crazy, isn't it? In that moment where the the human instinct is to ask someone, "I hope you're okay," yet you almost look at them and you think, "Like, do you genuinely think I'm okay right now?" Because I've just had this news. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's the it's the normal thing to ask, isn't it? And yeah, and I think you you learn by that. Though. So if if it happened to me mm. and someone, I would just nowadays you would just say, look, I know you, you the last thing you need is for me to come over, but rest assured, I'm here when you need, and I'll keep checking in with you and let me know if you need anything. And, and that would be that would be great because, like you say, you're constant. People are coming in all the time. You're constantly making cups of tea, thinking. Jesus, I mean, I'm knackered here. I can't sleep. Yeah, I'm yeah. being, hosp you know, doing the full hospitality room. This is the last thing. Because then people say the old class, the old classic stuff. Oh, you know, time will be a healer. He wouldn't want you to be sad, and you know, you'll, you know, you'll look back, and you know, you. Yeah, yeah. It's did just you, none of that you want to hear. It make it doesn't help. No, did you? Um, cause I, I, I've not um, had any direct bereavement in the family, fortunately enough. So I can't relate properly uh, although some tricky situations i've been in i it's kind of the same effect really um but did you so did you find yourself getting angry at either the situation or people who would come and you know set, start trying to speak to you or condole you or whatever because all you want is because i know when i've gone through anything similar to this i just needed space yeah. and people coming up and you know were sending flowers and knocking on the door and whatever would sometimes make me a bit angry at them and it's then you yeah. feel guilty for being angry because they've done nothing wrong yeah <clears throat> i think like you know, i think i i've had a lot of solace in going out for walks and things i took mm. the dog out for a walk in the morning and i tried to put some routine into my life and sometimes you just need to be on your own so you can talk things through in your head mm. you can talk i 
like to talk out loud and you know as if James is still here I'll often just have a conversation with him there's obviously no answer but it's just like we're having that thing and you're exactly right you do, it's not their fault but it, it certain people I got really frustrated with because even when you ask people to do stuff I mean I in the end I had to turn some people out of our house because the subtle flus you know you know we're really tired blah blah, blah. and people still there, you're like look get out and we mm -hmm. had that a couple of times so it's like get out because also you see the best and the worst of people so people are genuine but other people they almost want the gossip and they want the inside line especially with the military side of things yeah. so people you didn't really know or hadn't really spoken about would all come out and you're like i know your game here it's you know i know what you're up to you're looking yeah. for that gossip thing and again we're acutely aware if you go to the shops and people are kind of whispering behind you he's the soldier's dad or you know all of that stuff because in a relatively small village that we live in word travels quickly and especially mm. when stuff like that happens because it's not a normal thing to happen in our village so it got very difficult and and it really did make the whole thing more difficult to deal with um but when i look back now and i'm talking to you about it it seems like it is another lifetime ago it literally could have been mm. 40 years ago now looking back at it whereas it's still only um seven and a half or seven and a bit years ago it seems like 40 years ago and the people we were and the life we had is so very different now yeah so sorry james are you gonna i was just gonna say i think there was an element there i think you were alluding to it a little bit and i'm, I'm grinning because it, again it's nobody's fault but the the false promises that people give you during that time you know are you know when it when it's when it's blown over like you know we'll, we'll go out for a beer or you know i'll take you out for a coffee and it's almost like did that did that invite get lost in the post because yeah, absolutely and you're still waiting for it and i remember my mum saying it she was like she said that to me and it's she doesn't actually mean it she just said it because she thinks it's the right thing to say yeah and it's um yeah it's just interesting isn't it <laughs> yeah, it is because what they don't realize is you remember that stuff and, yeah and you think you know that would actually be quite nice because yeah. that you don't hear another word and you kind of think okay that's that's the way it is and you know people are so weird around death and bereavement and they just don't know what to do or what to say and i get that i really do and especially like you were saying robert if you've not really experienced it how would you yeah well how would you know well yeah so do you think there's a difference in the people that you um the way people reacted to the situation do you think there is a difference in the reaction of those people who have experienced bereavement themselves directly versus those that haven't could you looking back now could you tell a difference in the way people reacted or what they did um i think there was there's a di there's a there's a difference between a lot of these things because one of the things i found most most frustrating is a lot of people would say oh, I lost my great-grandmother's, you know, to this. And you think it's not the same no. thing. Whereas people who'd maybe lost a child like we had or a son or a daughter, they'd have a much better empathy mm. in that side of things. So like you were saying, James, an unexpected loss in particular, I think is very different to, a, you know, someone if you're nursing someone through a terminal illness mm. and they're slowly, I don't think, you know, I'm not belittling that at all one bit, but I think it's a very different experience. So when it happens unexpectedly, you know, there's a whole vortex of extra emotions that, because you literally have no, it, your life changes like that. And it's just like, wow, um, uh, what, uh, you know, all of that stuff. And, and a lot of people almost try and guide you and govern you, but it's not what you want. It's like, I know what I have to do. I know the jobs in front of the tasks in front of me, and they literally are stuff that I have to do. 
I don't need extra stuff in my way to make me busier yeah. or take or sideline me. I literally have to focus on what I have to do. And a lot of that is looking after my family and hopefully myself and that sort of side of things. And when we fast forward much further, when, to when Dan and I um, founded Strongmen, the whole point of that was to try and create this environment, this group of people who had experience in loss. So naturally speaking, they've got that natural empathy and an understanding and, and you come together with it. We're just creating this environment where people like-minded people with similar experiences can come together and talk about it and maybe help each other through that sort of those years as they follow. And that was one of the key things. In addition to some of the other factors of it, it was that understanding and empathy that you know that everyone within this group has been through similar things. So you don't have to explain it. You don't have to explain why you're feeling a certain way. And there's not this elephant in the room, which you have. I mean, we have with James all the time now. You know, it's like people want to ask you, but they just don't know how. And, you know, you always say to people, just ask me normally, you know, just how are you? How's things going? You know, I'm really sorry to hear about it, you know. All the just be normal, you know, rather than make a big thing about it and trying to cure you like as an Instagram quote, you know, it's like that. Just in reality, <laughs> that's not life. Yeah. Just um, what, one thing you pick, or want to pick up on is obviously you you were the father and and the man of the of the house and the family, and you you mentioned earlier around going back to work too early as a, as a bit of a coping mechanism. So did. I guess the first part of that is, did you feel like you you had to step up even further as as the dad, as the man, as the husband and and as the dad to the daughter? And in hindsight now, what what was it about going back to work too early that was the wrong decision? Because that really resonated with me because I, within five days, I was back in work because I just, I just needed normality i just needed to process i needed to process it and then go back to normal james as quick as i could mm-hmm. and i I'm, I'm hoping now that doesn't come back to bite me in the ass because you you obviously mentioned for yourself that that maybe was not the right thing to do yeah I, would i would i do it any different with hindsight probably not because Again, being the sort, if you like, the leader of the family, for want of better words, and when you're dealing with the military as well, you're acutely aware that you're dealing with generals and senior military figures that you know are judging you and you know are evaluating you. So to a certain degree, you have to perform to a certain extent and and kind of feel that also for James, it would be what he would expect. He would expect us to conduct ourselves in the right way. not be victims because that's not what we are. We're not victims. We will never, we're never looking for sympathy. That's not what we're looking for. James went to war. He knew he was going for war and we knew what he was doing. So that's one of this, you know, one of the dangers, if you like, with it. So that was not something that we ever wanted to feel that we were victims or, or anything like that. In terms of going back to work, I kind of felt that, as I say, working in the environment I did for the people I did and the, the company I did, I knew that it, I knew it's one of those companies that I just knew that going on around me, people would be expecting me to come back. Um, did Was there an element of getting back to normality? Was there an element of getting back to a routine? Yes, definitely. And that was one of those things. But the, the love for the job had gone. It had literally mm-hmm. just gone. And there was I was really just going through the motions. So it didn't mean anything to me. Whereas it did beforehand I was keen to succeed and I was driven and ambitious I was a sales director in the company so that was a key element of it but 
that had all gone. So I was acutely aware of that. Now, if I fast forward um, to about three, three and a half years ago, I was diagnosed with prostate cancer. Now, I was 44 at the time. It doesn't, we don't have a history in the family. I'm not what you call an at-risk group because of my age. Uh, it affects black men a lot more than white men, for example. I don't know why. Um, it's just one of those things. And I wasn't in a risk group, but stress is one of the things that it can, stress is one of the things that can obviously lead to other illnesses such as cancer. And I'm convinced that that was as a result of it. Now, my mind and my body were just trying to deal with what was happening to me. And I think it just took its toll on both of those. Firstly, the physically through cancer, other aspects I've had gums have rotted, other stress related issues that have come as a result, but not a lot really is understood about the physical impacts of bereavement and stress, whereas the mental impacts, I guess, are more, are more appreciated or people would, would think were more obvious. But mentally, a few years after cancer, so I'd had James die, then I'd been through cancer and the treatment. And then back at work, I had a, a moment where I, I remember sitting there, we just opened this lovely new showroom in London. We sat there and everyone's happy and happy clapping and all that. And I'm sat there going, I just can't, this is just not me, you know, I'm just done with this. So it was a real painful experience. I hated mm -hmm. being there. I'd res started to resent being there because of, I felt like I'd had to do it and I'd had to come back and do it and it was expected of me. So that resentment had come into my, my professional life. And I was, the day after we all stayed up in London, the day after I was walking over, I decided to walk to my meeting from sort of central London out towards Southwark. I remember walking over the Millennium Bridge towards the new Tate Gallery. And all of a sudden, I couldn't see any, it was like I was in a tunnel. I wasn't on a bridge, so I couldn't see the Thames. It was literally like walking through a huge tube. And I knew I wasn't dreaming and I knew I wasn't like delirious or anything, but it just sort of closed in on me. And it was genuinely quite scary. And it took me way longer to get to the other side than it would do normally. It must have probably, I don't know how long it took me, but maybe two or three times because I just didn't really know what to do. And that had never happened to me like that before. So I went into the tape, I sat down, I found the toilets and just sat in the cubicle for maybe half an hour, just trying to process where I was. And it was, it was then that I decided that I had to stop what the work, the work was having such a detrimental effect on my emotional and mental well-being. I had to stop. So I had a six-figure salary, company car, medical insurance, all the perks, the job I could do easily and I'd done for years. And I knew, I came home to my wife and said, look, this has happened. And I know it's work-related and I've got to stop. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm just going to take six months out and see what happens and where I go from there. And as soon as I made that decision, everything kind of cleared a little bit mm -hmm. because I knew there was an end to that. So I could start looking and focusing on that period. I had a nice long notice period of about four or five months, something like that. So I knew financially I could stash a bit of cash away to, to live off and that sort of side of things. But that was definitely, again, a result of me not dealing with that particularly well. And it just built up and built up and built up and the sponge just got wetter mm. and wetter and flooded and there was just nowhere for me to go. So physically it had taken its toll with me and then mentally it took its toll with me afterwards as well. So <clears throat> that was... You know that was my experience of it so obviously i hope that doesn't happen to you james but uh, and i'm sure it won't but but that was the environment i was in and because of the nature of the job i was in and because it was a small company and they didn't really know how to deal with what had happened and and i didn't re i wasn't very open with them you know i wasn't because it's incredibly difficult because 
you don't really want to talk about subjects that, again, you know, people won't necessarily understand mm. and that are very difficult to have with people that you work with because, you know, that's not where you would go. Yeah. It will be friends or it will be professionals who are experiencing that sort of side of things. So, you know, the conversation was never had. Yeah. I mean, just picking up on the bit you said about the physical side of things, not really being the one that's talked about so much. It's, you know, I can resonate massively with that because when I was doing my PhD, I went through some real tricky times then and it's a completely different scenario. But the, the stress, um, pressure, I think, and the mental health side of things was huge, like a massive burden on me and it started to tip over into physical stuff. And I had times where I had like chronic migraines, um, chronic nosebleeds just out of nowhere daily uh passing out and stuff and i just remember thinking at that point like i'm not coping and it was when it started to get to that level i realized that things were pretty bad and i weren't coping very well with what was going on at all but it's just amazing that sometimes it takes it has to get to that point before you realize that what is happening or what is going on isn't right and that the actual core of the issue needs to be dealt with um and I think therein lies the male problem, because it's a... Uh, the male you know, problem. Yeah, yeah, particularly prevalent in males. It's that yeah. old thing, isn't it? I'll be all right. Just do it again. Just keep yeah. going. Just keep going. You're going to be all right. Don't make a big deal about it. It'll be fine. Yeah. And that's kind of what happens. In, but days, weeks, months pass, and of course, they're not. Yeah. Um, you kind of where talk. do you go with that? Yeah, you, you kind know, of... You need people... Go on. Sorry. You need people to help you. To deal, you know, if, if if I'd have had someone who'd been in my a similar situation to me and had just sat me down and gone, do you know what? Just, you know, just yeah. hang on. Don't put any pressure on yourself, but you've got to look after yourself because this is a road to destruction. Yeah. And it's going to end only one way, and that's the wheels coming off physically and then mentally. I'd not even learned on the physical side. You know, I'd not ever thought even then, you need to be careful. Yeah. I just thought, right got to get better so when i'd had my all my treatment um i had the operation it's a significant operation it was that same old thing right let's get out let's run let's go to the gym let's power through this uh, and of course it doesn't work like that your body has been through so much yeah. your head has been through so much you don't realize how much it's taken out of you and you just got nothing left to give yeah. and then you know that then had a huge effect on on me on, on that side of things but where I'm lucky is I read, I'd started to recognise it and mm. quickly I thought changes have got to be made. You've been a dick. Enough, you know. You know, money, all of that stuff. Forget about it because yeah. you know, you know, if you're not here, what's the point? And that sort of side of things. So I think it's where you go with it as well, isn't it? Like you're saying in in academia. I mean, my daughter's at university at the moment. She's training in osteopathy and. It's a huge pressure, especially at the moment. I mean, she's been at university all through the pandemic because the NHS are sending um, patients over to them. So they've carried on and they've carried on. The pressure in academia is <clears throat> is much under, it's there. It's sort of yeah. boiling underneath. We've had a number of universities uh, and higher education places have asked us and strong men to come in and just talk through our stories and be open and honest with people mm. because being open and honest with people and they can see where you are and what you've done and who you are. It, there's nothing better than, you know, than, than listening to people that have been through it. Tough guys, if you like, you know, it's the same thing what we've been through and 
like people say you've got such courage to say it's just i haven't i've just learned that i have to i have to talk about it not just because i want to keep james's name alive and i want to keep talking and remembering but i have to because it makes me feel better yeah and whereas there's big build-ups to these big occasions whether it's an anniversary you're coming up to a bad anniversary or putting yourself under pressure with an exam or a test the the relief once you're through it is huge and then to just be able to debrief yourself and talk to other people about it is a hugely powerful thing and if that starts that environment getting easier to talk about then yeah. happy days because it has to be because you can't just keep on yeah, yeah. you know stiff up a lip and all of that stuff because yeah. it just doesn't it's not it's not a week it, there can be nothing greater than knowing yourself and knowing that you've got to talk do something about it that has to be surely the ultimate sign that you know yourself yeah you know what you have to do and just sitting there and grinning and bearing it what good does that do anyway no, i couldn't agree more i couldn't agree more i completely so Ephraim, i'm keen to talk about um sas so uh, i'm a massive fan of the show <laughs> I've, i think i've watched them all and I, I was definitely watching the one that you were on in i'm just looking here 2006 recruit 11 uh the jungles of ecuador so it, was that something that you felt like you had to do uh, or was it something that you used as a bit of a coping mechanism for the, the, the years after the grief? Weird one, you know, it's in the period after James died, I tried to, as a little tribute, my tribute to him was do things that I think he would have done. So he'd done pre-para selection and he was going to do P company when he got back from Afghanistan. So first thing I did was... Um, the Paris 10, which is in Colchester, I did it, where you do a 10-mile run with, I can't remember the weight on your back, and try and get under, I think it's an hour and 50, which I just managed to do by a few seconds. Uh, and then SAS Sudes was the first series I've been on, and it was filmed, a lot of it was filmed where James was based, which is down in Broadie, which is near Haverford West, on the real southwest coast of Wales. So we've been down there, because one of the things we did is, what we were asked to do, which we did, was when his... Uh, colleagues came home we were there as part of that homecoming parade which again was one of those horrific experiences um, to see everybody so happy and obviously you're sat there and everyone's looking at you but we saw a lot of the local countryside and a lot of that featured on the program so naturally I watched it uh, and it interested me and I really liked the way it was filmed the sort of dark side of it the, the focus more on the mentality side and James had worked with during his career had worked with special forces um, and it was something that really um, interested him. It's always interested me. So I just applied for it. I didn't really think much about it. I didn't think I'd get onto the show. I think there was around 3,000 applicants, I think, roughly, when I, on the second series, when I applied in 2016. Uh, and eventually I did the fitness test, which I passed. There's a psychological evaluation. There's a, um, an interview on camera. There's all sorts of fail service, then a fitness, um, then, a, then a health screening and all these other things you have to get through just to get on the plane out to Ecuador. So did I do it? Why did I do it? Still don't really know. If I hadn't have done the show, I wouldn't have found that I had prostate cancer because I had it while I was doing the show. I'd had some health problems in the jungle and the doctor there, Sandeep, had said when I get back, when you get back, go and see your GP, I'll write a letter saying roughly what's happened and my concerns um, and just go and get it checked. It could be it could be all number of things from anything as simple as a urine infection all the way up to the worst case scenario, which is cancer. So I went to the doctor and the doctor's like, don't be stupid. You're whatever I was, 43, 44. 
you're not at risk. And I said, well, can you just read this letter from a, another doctor and do what he says? And he did reluctantly. Um, and then the cancer diagnosis eventually came through. So if I hadn't have been on that show, I'd be dead now and they never would have found it because I didn't have the healthcare issues over here like I did over there because we were never put through mm. such mm. stressful physical um, challenges. And if I hadn't had those, I'd not felt it all with a lot of cancers. You never know you have them and I'd be dead now. So I kind of, you know, when you think somebody made me do that and I was, I've never really believed in that sort of thing, but I honestly believe that that was like a destiny thing. Mm. Somehow I ended up there and I remember standing there in the pissing rain, um, in my boxer shorts, looking around me to all these younger blokes thinking, what am I doing here? You know, I'm by far the oldest, or I was the same age as another guy, but we were by far the oldest. And you're looking around at this guy's younger than your youngest child. And it's just a bizarre feeling, but it was a great, it was a great experience. And I think the show at that time on the second series and was a better show than it is now. I think it was a lot more, it was a lot, um, it wasn't as well produced. It wasn't as well scripted. It was kind of a little bit more raw. Get you in for want of a better word. And, and mm. I think it was, it was a great experience for me because I really enjoyed it. Uh, and as I say, it, it 100% saved my life. Mm. You, um, just, I did a bit of background reading and read some articles and some interviews and stuff you've done. And you spoke a lot about um, exercise and how exercise has been like an absolute godsend for you in helping you deal with everything that you've gone through, obviously with your bereavement and processing um, your cancer diagnosis and obviously overcoming that. Um, do you think, firstly then, the exercise and the, I suppose, the rigour of the SAS Who Dares Wins programme was one of the lures that pulled you in? And then secondly, do you think exercise was the main coping mechanism that helped you personally through the kind of various bits that you've been through in the last sort of five, six, seven years? Exercise has been my saviour, 100%. Um, I've not, in the early days, we, we leaned on alcohol too much. We leaned on, you know, we didn't sleep particularly well. We had all mm. sorts of rubbish, whatever was available, just went in the microwave or the oven or a takeaway or whatever, but slowly and gradually, tried to get some purpose and more importantly, a routine back into my day. So as I say, get up reasonably early, take the dogs for a walk, do some exercise. I've always kept myself fit. Um, it's something that I've always enjoyed for many, many years. And it's something that I shared with particularly James because he was very into the physical side of things. He'd been, um, he'd done sports, sports science at, at, at college, for example. And it was something that we're both really interested and we shared that interest in. So. Exercise has been my saviour. I love doing something. I love the night before I tend to write down what I'm going to do the following day and roughly what time I'm going to do it, even when we're at home. So I was out in the lovely sunshine earlier with the dogs on the lawn, doing all sorts of bits and bobs. And once you've done it, it there's just no better feeling for yeah. me, just the release of everything that the exercise does, the, the improvement that you feel. If I don't do stuff for a while, my back starts playing up. I get a bit achy and sore. And as long as I keep doing stuff, physically that keeps me going. But mentally, it's an absolute game changer. It really is. It, it helps me focus. As long as I'm physically fit, generally speaking, mentally, I'm pretty on tune as well. And I just, I do, I love it. I went out for a, 
I try yeah. and go for a run twice a week. I'll try to do something pretty much every day. Uh, and it's definitely, definitely been my saviour. And, and I know a lot of people are aware of how important it is to you, but it's just a shame that, that it's not more available to more people yeah. or there's not more people to help people to get into it because you don't need, you know, I'm never going to run a, anything i'm never going to run a marathon again i've done it once but i would never be able to run a two-hour marathon or a three-hour marathon or three and a half that's just physically impossible that's not why i do it it's mm. the same way I, you know i hack around a golf course not because i i fancy myself but i just like being outdoors yeah. and doing stuff so i don't do it for the gold medals i just do it for my own benefit and it's, i love it it sounds like the so you, you mentioned it there that there's three things that i wrote down just during that little bit and they were purpose routine and sense of achievement or accomplishment and it sounds as though just a bit that you said there about what exercise does for you mentally obviously all the physical benefits as well but mentally those three things purpose routine and accomplishment stuck out as like the real reasons why exercise is is so important to you a hundred percent yeah uh, and it's nice to see your, your personal progression as well yeah. within that so you can see how far you've come, even if it's if something you go back to do. I try and do something different every day, but sometimes when you go back to doing the same thing and you see how, how well you've done it, but definitely purpose. I mean, I, I like to set myself a routine the day before, and then I like to record it. So I'll write a diary every day of what I've done. And a lot of that's dull at the moment because no one's really doing anything, but it's good to write down. And then you can look back at these things and, and see how far you've come. Because sometimes you, you don't really realize how far you've come until yeah. you sit down and think, Oh, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. Actually, I've done all right. And that's part of routine, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that was, it was massive for us as well. Just, I'm like you, mate, setting lists, setting tasks, goals. And, and sometimes it was as simple as just going out and having a walk. And, mm. and certainly for mum, you know, she, she became a bit of a hermit for two weeks, really. It was in the bedroom, curtains drawn. Um, she lost about seven kilos in a week from stress and the moment I found that out I was like oh my god nutrition 101 right let, let's get you back in the game but yeah and, but you go back to the fundamental basics don't you right let's make sure we're eating well let's make sure we're exercising and let's make sure that we're setting ourselves goals and something to accomplish each day yeah. um, that, that was certainly huge for us definitely yeah I think it's so important it's, you know, if you don't set yourself for me, if I don't set myself a routine, I get pretty anxious and angry with myself. Mm -hmm. So it's like, what am I doing tomorrow? Well, you've got nothing in your diary. It's like, well, put something in your diary, get my little notebook out and write what I do, what I'm going to do. And then, you know, if it's written down for me, it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. It's not written down, it ain't going to happen. And that includes things like remembering to call people. Yeah. If I don't write stuff down, it doesn't happen. If I do, I've got half a chance. So that for me is a game changer it just works for me i'm sure it doesn't work for everyone it drives my wife crazy because she's like well can't you why do you have to why are you so structured like, if i'm not structured the wheels come off so just trust me i know it works for me and it and it you know it's harmless isn't it and you're right once it's there saying you've got to do something you got to do it as far as i'm concerned you know it's like i knew i seen you guys at four for this it's no different 10 o'clock i've got written in there exercise and that's when it happened <laughs> yeah 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 so part part of the sas program um you know they're they're finding out a little bit more about who you are what you're about and 
and I guess how how you deal with situations when the pressure cooker is on. So with that, with your cancer and, and with the death of James, what what is it you've learned about yourself as a result of going through those critical moments in your career and well and, and, and your life, should I say? Yeah, I think when stuff like this happening, it it really knocks your confidence. It really knocks your infallibility you know we all think i think a lot of people think anyway that they're indestructible nothing can happen to them it always happens to somebody else and just push just push just push and you'll be all right and i've learned that isn't the case i know what my limitations are and i know what i have to do to keep keep myself in a good space and that's a collective thing like you were saying it's nutrition it's hydration it's exercise it's structure it's purpose it's all of these things and I can tell when it's starting to waver and I have to work harder at it so I know myself really really well one of the things when when we did SAS one of the best things to come out of it apart from saving my life which is obviously right up there at the top (laughs) was I had I met Dan I mean Dan was on the series after mine he was out in Morocco Dan lost his wife she was murdered so we'd had similar experiences yeah. been through similar things and the show put us together and it enabled us to, to launch strong men the charity and it's already helped so many people um it's it's a great vehicle and we're going to really push it on and on and on over the next few months and hopefully years and there's nothing out there for guys like us who've been through bereavement um same as you were saying james it's it's just not spoken about it's not dealt with it's not it's not even a thing i think yeah a lot of help exists out there but it's tends to be via the doctors or via counseling mm. and not everybody wants that i'm not saying that counseling doesn't help but it's not for everybody it wasn't for me so what we've done with strongmen is to try and bring that exercise routine and also that opportunity to speak to people who've been through similar things that you have uh, safely and confidentially and knowing that they understand it those are the real key ethoses of what we do. So it's all very much a peer-based support system. So that helps. That helps me. It's very cathartic. When you see the benefit it has on people, yeah. it kind of relights a bit of a fire in them. It gets them going again. It gets them thinking about themselves again. You know, that there is still purpose in all of our lives. There's still a lot to be thankful for. So all of these things have made my life very rich and fulfilling in a lot of ways. Now, would I change it? A hundred percent with the flick of the switch, I'd go back to the old life where, you know, I was slightly more selfish probably, I was slightly more ambitious in terms of chasing the pound. Um, but James would be there, so and I'd have had the opportunity to see him develop in that critical time. He died at twenty two, so he'd have been just turned thirty. So that between the age of twenty two and thirty is a massive time in, in most people's lives. So it would have been that time when he probably would have got married, he may have had kids, he'd have bought a house, all of that stuff progressed in his career. Um, and it would have been great, but unfortunately we can't turn that switch back, that clock back, so we have to just deal with what we have to deal yeah. with. And, and I've learned what's important to me now, it's what really means stuff to me now, and, and that has to be the centre of my focus moving forwards, and that is my family, um, the charity, being a good person as, as, as much as I can and to help as many people as I can and just try and use the experiences that I've had to try and maybe help other people and even not to help other people but to, for them to realise that, that there are people out there that have been through a similar thing and there is still much to live for because 
when it happens uh, and these unexpected things happen or even if they are expected it's easy to think well what is there to be thankful for what is there you know i just don't want to do this anymore it's just life so cruel life so awful it's not you know you look out the window it's been sunny today i've been out there doing all sorts on the lawn with the dogs and i was smiling and laughing and just enjoying it and you mm. think how can someone who's lost his son had cancer how can you simply enjoy lying doing whatever i was doing 350 sit-ups earlier in the grass with a dog licking my head it was great i loved it it's priceless and that's what kind of what i've learned about myself really i think so simple things make a big difference do you think that then on the back of everything that's happened kind of to you and your family that would you have had that mindset then but if this had never happened if you hadn't have been diagnosed with cancer you hadn't gone SAS who dares wins James was still you know in the family physically would you have that same mindset of kind of gratitude really for the small things we never know do we mm. um I think as I got older I was I was starting to lean that way anyway I'd like to think of myself as a good person mm. um and, and a nice person so I'd like to think so but it's definitely kicked it on miles mm. um I'd like to think so, but you can, you know, who yeah. knows, you know, it's one of those sliding door moments. I've no idea where I would be if, you know, if James had home, come home from Afghanistan, it would be an entirely different place. I yeah. wouldn't be living in this house. I wouldn't be, there'd be no strong men. There'd be, you know, a lot of great people that I've met along the way wouldn't have happened. I wouldn't be talking to you guys. I've never would have met Dom. All of these things that happen, you know, you kind of hope that they're, they're on that roadmap to, to, to bring in that purpose of why I am here yeah. and what I can do with what I've learned to try and help other people and, of course, me in healing and, and just seeing seeing the rest, you know, seeing the, the positive side of life. And there are huge positives in it, even at the moment. Yeah. Did, did, you, did you find, because I suppose when, when I first had the phone call from my older brother, I remember thinking to myself at the moment, firstly, it's got to be a disgusting wind up and it can't be true. And then I had to drive from Liverpool to Essex four and a half hours in the car where you're then just mulling it over. But then I quickly entered the realm of, and this is how my dad would have thought about it. There's nothing you can do about what's happened because it's happened. Yeah. So you've got to process the situation. So. I'm just interested to ask you quickly before we begin to wrap up when you got that phone or sorry, when the, when the guy was in your house and he told you the information, was there part of you that was annoyed at what had happened or was it very quickly it's happened now it's about how do I get my family through it? Yeah, I think there wasn't really an annoyance uh, as such or an anger as such. It was just a case of we, we've got to deal with this now. So we've got to lay out the road in front of us and be practical, as you were saying. And, and I accepted fairly quickly that that I couldn't change it. Um, my wife, I think, thought, because James was in military intelligence, he was doing a James Bond sort of thing. And 10 years time, Jason Bourne would knock on the door and it'd be fine. And we'd smash him, punch him in the face, call him a tosser and then carry on his life. But it isn't like that. Mm. There is no Jason Bourne or James Bond. So quickly it was again a case of thinking well we've got to we've got to survive this whatever happens the, um, as a as a human being i'm going to be tested more than i've ever been tested i'm going to have to make 
huge decisions that I never thought I'd ever have to make. And I'm going to have to experience horrific things. You know, I don't know, for example, if you saw your dad dead, but seeing James dead was like, it was something that I don't, it was just beyond belief and it seemed so surreal and crazy and all that stuff. But it was nice as well, if that makes sense. Yeah, I feel good. Yeah, it was nice, but all of the, and the decisions that, you know, people say about things, all this rubbish you hear about leadership and all of, all of that sort of stuff, real situations and real stuff like this is where you learn if you're good at stuff like that, if you can make decisions in the worst possible time and then look back at them years later and go, as you got the vast majority of them right under such extreme pressure, you got mm. most of them right with the exception we did of maybe one or two trivial items so you did all right so but we knew i knew i was going to be hugely tested i knew it was like it was a life defining when i'm on my deathbed when i reflect back um that moment will be the moment that changed my life is when james died it was it's just been the most it's just the biggest thing that will i imagine hopefully ever happened to me and it was one of those that it just i knew I knew that I was going to be really tested um, and I knew it was going to be incredibly difficult and, and, and it was, and it still is. It, it doesn't change. It's, it just gets different, I suppose, but it was, yeah, it was, it was, it's just bonkers. Oh, yeah. um, so I guess, look, the, the final question we've got then as, as we wrap it up before we go into a couple of quick fire ones is, if there was someone out there now who is facing or may face a similar scenario, what would be your golden bit of advice for that individual? Um, you know, if they picked up the phone and said, this has happened, what is it you would say to them? I, there's no one thing, but all I would say with, with all of these things is just try and live in the moment where you are at the moment. Don't look into the future. Don't worry about birthdays, Christmas, mm. anniversaries what you're going to do just literally live in the moment and, and try and keep everything all the peripheral stuff to the periphery concentrate on yourself concentrate on what you're doing and there is genuinely life and, and light at the end of the tunnel reach out but reach out for support it really when you're ready and it's time reach out for support because you cannot do it on your own you just can't yeah yeah do you think so um briefly you mentioned way back when we first started talking that you'd you wish you had somebody or you wish you had kind of you now to go back in time and speak to you of before and tell you some bits of advice and just give you like you know a nudge in the right direction with these things do you reckon that would be the bit of advice you'd give yourself then yeah maybe i think it's what i would have needed was someone that didn't put pressure on me to talk about it if i didn't want to as well there's nothing worse than people that you know, want you to talk mm. about it. it has to, the timing has to be right. Everything has to be right. So almost like, almost like when you were a kid, you used to imagine you had an imaginary friend, that sort of thing. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, you can be honest with someone and they can be honest with you and that's all right. Yeah. Rather than, because whoever, even, you know, if you speak to people and you realize the conversation isn't going down a route and you don't want to talk about this or it's heading away you don't want, then everything, you know, the gates come mm. to come up and you, 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 you end the conversation quickly. Whereas I guess if you can control that and, and you're totally um, relaxed with the person, 
<clears throat> then it's not so much of an issue because and that, i guess that's what i did because i used to talk to myself and i still talk to myself and when i was out walking the dogs in the forest i talked yeah. to myself and i guess i i self cleansed myself like that yeah. to a certain degree and you know and that definitely helped me so yeah it's not a traditional answer i guess or a helpful answer but you know you just need that someone that's perfect for this the perfect for you at that moment in time yeah. that's hard do you, do you know what it's interesting because after everything i went through a couple of years ago i now find myself talking to myself a lot and almost coaching myself through situations <laughs> which are tricky and you just sit yeah. there and you chat to yourself like you're a completely different bloke talking to yourself and you have back and forth conversations and eventually you come up with an answer and you're like yeah we did all right there and you you crack on so i, I completely understand what you're you're getting at there it's almost like being interviewed, isn't it? It's yeah, like, yeah, it's really like weird. You're on the Jonathan Ross show. Or yeah, I told my I told my partner Laura about that that I do it, and she just looked at me like I was a bit of a fruitcake. But it honestly, it helps massively. It really helped me a lot, and still does. Um, and I was just going to mention yeah. that. Do you think that's why your um, the charity, the strongmen, the things that you do, like climbing, like snowdonia and all, all of those bits mountain and everything do you think that's why that works so brilliantly because you get together a group of lads who are there to do some sort of physical exertion or exercise or something which is the main purpose of why they're there but on the side of that they're gonna be blokes who are in the same sort of situation and can more candidly and openly talk about something without there being an elephant in the room or any stigma about it and the the conversation therefore is a lot more i suppose organic 100 percent, and it is when you're both heading up a mountain breathing a bit heavy not looking at each other across a desk it's a much nicer environment mm. than speaking to somebody about it um and naturally those conversations just occur like you were saying organically they yeah. just happen and they happen so quickly because you've got two guys who are doing something that some may have done it before some haven't but everyone's it's a challenge for everybody. Mm. It's a mental challenge as well because you're thrown into this environment without knowing anybody or know or knowing what's going to happen. And naturally, these conversations just happen, and it's great because the environment is perfect. Climbing up a mountain, being outdoors, there's no judgment. There's no you know there's no right or wrong answer. More importantly, yeah. these 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 peripheral conditions, this environment creates this safe opportunity to talk. Yeah, yeah, that's uh... yeah. I resonate, resonate a lot with everything you've kind of said really um, so thank you very much for coming on we've got sh some, some, some short fire questions that we always like to finish with just four or five very quick kind of one sentence answers um, if you don't mind yeah far away um, okay okay so first one for you, what what do you think personal success looks like in in life? Now, very different to back then. It, it for me, it definitely is health is is the main one for me. Health, happiness, and that sort of that feeling emotionally balanced. Um, having my my daughter happy. Uh, I could never answer a question succinctly, so I apologise. <laughs> my daughter is hugely important to me. My wife. Uh, and our family environment is is the most important thing. So seeing my daughter happy and progressing probably is the main one. Okay, and what? Yeah, probably linking to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so on, on. the next one is just what makes you makes you truly happiest. But you've um, kind of answered that one. So 
what how do you think that your your answer to those kind of two questions then has changed well it would have always been that anyway obviously anyone wants to see their children mm. Uh, well, healthy, and happy. That's 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 a given. That's why that's why we have families, I suppose. So that's not really changed, but I'm, it, it's so important now. And obviously, anything that I can do or we can do to help them along the way um, it is is more important now. Whereas before, maybe you'd know, be thinking it's more important to go on a holiday um, and spend all your money on a holiday. Now it might be a little bit more important to give them some money to you know to to help them with a deposit for a house, that sort of thing. But you know, whatever you put into your children or your family, you generally speaking, you get back in spades. So, you know, it's a great investment. But to see Yasmin doing so well professionally, she's got a really great boyfriend, and they're planning to get they were planning to get married this year, but that's now going to be mm. next year because of the whole COVID scenario. So, to see her happy is just as priceless. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, if if you weren't in your current kind of moment in life i suppose working on the charity um and all of that sort of jazz what what would you be doing if none of this had had happened kind of thing what would you be doing or what would you like to be doing i always wanted to be well i love traveling so i'd like to be you know travel would be a huge thing i always wanted to be i was in a rock band when i was a kid or when i was younger so playing lead guitar so i'd love to be doing more of the music stuff as well but yeah being outdoors traveling all of that stuff for me is is something I'd like to do more of. Would Definitely. you have kept the long hair? That's probably why I would be doing more. It didn't really work for me, to be honest. When no. I look back, I, I it just I got such thick hair. It was like it was like this. Yeah. It's like one of those wigs, uh, and obviously being sort of yeah yeah a lot like that yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, I it, I really enjoyed it at the time, mate. And being in the band yeah. was great, and moping around with. Dr. Martins and jeans and stuff. It was a great moment in time, but it wouldn't be a look that would work anymore. Yeah. And just um, just finally then, what do you think is the most critical characteristic of a successful person? So whether that's whether that's success or, or career success? For me, it's it's a trust sort of thing. If, if is someone's character is way more important than what car they drive, what trousers they wear, or that sort of side of things. Someone's character um, is will always out trump all of those things, and that that's never going to be any different. Unfortunately, nowadays with the way things are with social media and that sort of pressure things, I think it's reverted the other way. Whereas a lot of people think it's the other way around, but one hundred percent, someone's character is something that you know it, it's it's way more important. Mm. All the other stuff is just background noise. Yeah, yeah. And um, obviously, we, we touched on the, the strongman and, and what it's about. But obviously, for those that uh, tune in and listen to this, where can they find strongman? Where's the best place for them to, to check it out and, and kind of yeah, reach out to you guys and access it all? Strongmen.org.uk strongmen.org.uk is our website everything's on there so all the services we offer that's got details of our membership um, some of the particular services and how they might work for an individual we're also on all the social media channels at strongmen.org.uk 
So you can follow us on those, sign up for the newsletter on the website as well. So you get our monthly newsletter about what we're up to, what's been going on and all of these things. We try and keep as active as possible social media wise. And, but the website's the, probably the best place to go because it's got everything you need on there. Yeah, yeah. And I've just learned there, it's not strong man, it's strong men. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Strong mentally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it's all about. But yeah, we just, yeah, strong men. Yeah, my, my, my bad. Not a problem, Dale boy. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, from, from me, um, yeah, massive thanks. It's, it's been amazing to hear, hear the story, hear the last, what, 10, 15 years and, and how it's been. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd love to join you up, um, Snowden, when, when the events are going ahead again, it would be class to join you and the guys up there. Definitely. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you very much, Ephraim. As, um, yeah, truly in- insightful and really, really empowering. Um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people out there who learn a lot of stuff from it and take a lot of, a lot of heart from, from you being so open with it all. So thanks a lot. Seaborn. How are we? Yeah, mate, good. What did you think of that? Yeah, just class again, isn't it? Like, obviously, privileged to have to have him on, but you know, such a, I suppose, a difficult topic to discuss, isn't it? Like mm. losing losing your own son in the army, but then going through the cancer. And having to deal with that and, and how he found out, you know, was, was that a bit of a sign that he needed to go on the show to find out he had the underlying yeah. cancer issue? Do you know what I mean? It was just all a bit, yeah, c- crazy to hear to hear it all, but such a nice, um, nice man. And I, I really um, respect and value, you know, what he set up with strong men as well. I think I can only see that going from strength to strength, really. So... I feel really privileged to have had the time with him. a lot of stuff resonated in a way and, and also supported the stuff that kind of I've done to get myself yeah. through it as well. So it was um, really good, mate. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I thought it was brilliant. Um, obviously, unfortunately, you have kind of quite a lot to resonate with Ephraim and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that do as well. But um, from somebody who hasn't lost like a father or son or you know brother or sister or whatever um the bits that really stuck out for me was obviously in the acute setting he didn't seem to cope with everything particularly well where he said he ended up causing himself some kind of you know physical distress with trying to get back to work too early and whatever but the way that he eventually learned about how exercise can instill kind of a uh, a purpose and um, some more routine back into his life which is kind of what from the sounds of things he needed to help him process everything that was going on that was kind of out of his control exercise seemed to give him that that purpose control that accountability and that routine back in um, and he, he spoke kind of really highly about how exercise has really empowered him again and I think that's um, a brilliant mechanism because I know f- from what I've gone through that I found exercise and getting back into exercise is something that really helps. And he speaks massively um, about about just getting out into the open and getting that routine structure and, and accountability back. Um, so that's probably the, the thing that I took m- most out of that. That chat we had with Ephraim was um, how powerful exercise can be. And I hope, 
other people out there who are listening kind of give that some sort of thought and see how whether maybe exercising and instilling some routine back into that can help them through whatever they're going through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, like, obviously losing dad and him losing his son, you know, I've never experienced that and I I hope that I won't. But the key things in that was setting yourself some simple, Mm. realistic goals each day. Ephraim has started the routine and diarising and things like that so he knows what he's got planned in the day and, and I do that every single day as well and I'm, I'm not saying it's the it's the sole way to get through things but Christ did that help me from day one um, and, and then you know having the courage and being open to talk about it yeah. you know if you go back to, to Brad and Don you know both of those guys opened up spoke about their problems and and look where they are now in yeah. such a better place yeah, yeah, yeah so i just think the more and more we do this more and more it will just embed how important it is for people to talk right yeah yeah and that's exactly what you said that's what we're trying to do here really is is kind of open open the book into people's lives and give them a platform to talk about what they've been through in the hope that it it allows you inspires other people out there to do the same so for anybody out there who's listening, um, wants to get in contact, then you can find mine and James's numbers and emails anywhere, pretty much. Just look online. And obviously, as Ephraim said, you can check out strongmendog.uk for, for more advice or more guidance on what support they can offer. Um, a brilliant, brilliant charity that that they set up there with some great initiatives going on. Um but that's a wrap for us for this episode. So if you've enjoyed what you listened to, um, then please check us out on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify and online. Um, just search the Mindside Podcast on any of the platforms and you'll find us. And please um, share the podcast episodes with your mates, provide some feedback, like them, rate them, because it all helps us out um, and we can we can carry on chatting away to each other and with our guests and uh, we hope to hear um, we hope to see you back next time